The following program is intended for mature audiences. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. It's Big Boom Radio Friday, people, so it's time once again for the Big Boom Radio podcast, Riffs and Rants, with Johnny Teflon and Michael Sean Lee. Both barrels, both sides, and a lot of good music, too. All I know is this violates every canon of respectable broadcasting. Indeed it does, my friend, indeed it does. And we'll be right back, folks, after the first gem of the day.
Yes. Now, if there was a better way to start episode number 150, I don't know what it is. And I can't believe I went along with that. <laughs> After 150 episodes of ribbing, because as regular listeners know, Jane's Addiction holds it's a very special spot it's, it's in your heart. List. Yeah, yeah. Banned bands. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, in, in the same vein, I don't know of a, another gem... Jim, uh, main topic connection that was more of a slam dunk than this one. Exactly, and and you might look at me funny when I use this example, but yeah, you know, not being a huge Jane's Addiction fan, we needed their certain brand of je ne sais quoi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. little little Jane's irreverence <laughs> on this one. <laughs> because oh god, yeah, we're gonna need it. So why don't you yeah. tell us a little bit about that ditty? Yeah, well, that was of course uh, Ben caught stealing from Jane's Addiction. That was the third single, actually. Uh, from the band's 1990 magnum opus album, Ritual de la Habitual, mm-hmm. uh, an album that a lot of people credit with ushering in the modern rock era, uh, the grunge era, if you will. And a uh, couple, of, couple of funny funny facts about that song. The, the band pretty much considered it a novelty tune. They didn't put a whole lot of emphasis on it. Well, the dog's barking probably you yeah. know, added to that. Well, yeah, it <laughs> kind of gives you an idea of how much they gave a shit. But yeah, that is actually Perry's dog, Annie. And uh, as the story went, Perry was in the vocal booth doing the vocal, and he had one of Annie's toys at his feet. (laughs) And she was barking, trying to get in to get the toy, and they listened to the playback and were like, yeah, let's keep that. What the hell? It sounds Mm -hmm. good. And and there you go. The rest, as they say, is history. It uh, arguably became the band's biggest, if not most recognizable song. Yep. And, uh, And yeah, like we were saying... In regards to its connection with the main topic, slam dunk. Yeah, and uh, we're going to say right up front, folks, um, let's see. Who would like this opening topic? Uh, true crime aficionados. Yeah, like very Susie much Q, so. Our very new DJ, so. she would love this because it's all true crimey. Yeah. And, uh, and any fans of, our favorite word this week, the macabre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit surprised to laugh in the background there. Yes, my, my I just, so our... Uh, Riffs and Rants on his nose. I always come up with smart-ass like, subtitles for the epic titles that Johnny comes up with for the episodes. <laughs> but with this one, it was just like, oh my God, this is so effed up. This is like beyond effed yeah, up. Yeah, and it's not even our Halloween episode. I know, seriously. So, you know? But hey, when a story presents itself, we owe it to the people around the world to shine a light on every orifice that uh, <laughs> is out there. Interesting choice of words, Johnny. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, it's it's that kind of a story. It is. It's kind of... So yeah. why don't you lead us in gently with... Well... Well, where do you start, really? Here we go. That's that's a that's a really, really good question. Um, let's just... It was Jump a dark right and stormy in. night. It was a dark and yeah. Things I'm were quiet <laughs> at the Harvard University morgue. morgue. <laughs> it uh, as we were talking about, it kind of reminded me of the scene in Gangs of New York, um, where the uh, the near do well characters <laughs> that you know Leo DiCaprio and company were leading went to the boat, took the captain's body. And they're talking about it the next day with uh, with Daniel Day Lewis's character, and they talk about the Ghoul Gang. Mm-hmm. This is Ghoul Gang shit, folks. This is right Real down life. In the middle. Yes. Real life Ghoul Gang. Apparently, former uh, Harvard uh, Medical School morgue manager Cedric Lodge was just indicted for selling body parts that were donated to science for research purposes. This guy was selling them out the back door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's about as straight uh, a rendition of this topic. Because he's probably making even more money from selling the back door. So you to know? Speak. I... But yeah, so 
it, this story, it, it came out in stages, okay? Yeah. And I think, even though it's probably completely unrelated, we also need to set the table by saying just a few weeks prior was the uh, SatanCon <laughs> convention right in right here in Boston. <laughs> and then this story like comes to light, and I had heard about this of all places on uh, the morning uh, drive-in show on WEI, local oh, yeah. sports station. Well, that was the funniest thing, was the morning that I approached you for this, it was like, mm-hmm. Johnny, you're not going to believe this, and you're like, oh, yeah, I've heard this. Yep. Yeah. But, it, I mean, you had so much more details involved. <sighs> so the way it was first presented was, you know, that, that, that time old tale of, you know, people uh, selling dead body parts for profit, <laughs> you know, th- that old chestnut. But then it, it expanded, and they found out that the, well, this woman's store, yeah. um, name of the store was Katie's. Yeah. This, was, this was another person that was arrested in connection mm-hmm. with this. This was a woman named Katrina McLean, I believe. Yes. And yeah, she had a, and based out of Salem, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, this shit writes itself. It's right, just right. ridiculous. But yes, her, song, her store was called Cat's Creepy Creations. There you go. And see, the reason we're, you know, trying not to get too, um, you know, all over the place with this, but it's, we need to include the parallels because there were all of these weird, seemingly innocuous stories coming out because then sandwiched in between the breaking of this story and Satan Con <laughs> was the discovery of fetuses in, in freezers in these uh, abandoned apartments. You can't make this stuff up. In Boston, also, and, and kind of well-to-do neighborhoods. So yeah. we had that going on. Yeah, these, these. I'm not sure what, if any, connection these stories have to each other. But yeah, it all sends the like weird shit a meter into the red. Right. Well, it's like their new tourism slogan says, "Boston never gets old." <laughs> Literally, that's their new slogan. So now to to zero in, we've got body parts, catch creepy creations, all of our team. Okay. By and the way, her, her 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 marketing line was creations that shock the mind and shake the soul. No shit. You crazy fuck. And if you don't, you're not human. Yeah. And it's like, you know, if the FBI happens to stumble across a, you know, selling body parts <laughs> out the back door scenario, <laughs> like that line's not gonna bring them right to your doorstep. Right. You know? But it gets worse. Oh based yes on does. some of the the orders that were now put into this head of the morgue at Harvard. Hello. Yes, the Harvard. Yeah. We're talking about like school. Harvard. Our yeah. best and brightest. Yes, and we should asterisk, <laughs> by, asterisk this by saying that I never pass up the opportunity to throw rocks at Ivy League douchebags. <laughs> never. You know, me being of the Pac-10, now Pac-12 mm-hmm. uh, uh, college crew, yeah, anytime I get a t- chance to take a shot at an Ivy League school, especially Harvard, <laughs> I'm taking it. Uh, stand back. I'm taking it deep, okay? Well, let's not throw stones in our glass <laughs> house. But anyway, yes, Harvard had an anatomical gift program that this weirdo Cedric Lodge was supposed to be coordinating. Mm -hmm. And basically the procedure is, you know, he accepts these donations, if you will. Sure, sure. uh, Catalogs them. You know, they're used for whatever weird-ass shit purposes the Harvard Medical School uses them for. Mm -hmm. And then the bodies are supposed to be cremated at that point. They even have little, like, cremation ceremonies. They invite the families in, blah, blah, blah. Only Cedric was apparently skipping that step and selling them out the back door. 
and uh, apparently had a had a client base based on who got arrested. Um, there were people that were busted as far south as Arkansas, and apparently, according to the FBI investigation, this has been going on since 2018. And you know, it's it's and it's funny the things you discover when you dig in and start doing research. Um, apparently, the market for human body parts. I mean, if you go online, you can apparently buy human body parts. But the uniqueness of this story is that there was an Ivy League university uh-huh. attached to it. And even when he grunts, detect a, uh, just a trace of Harvard. Um, specifically Harvard. Right. And did I mention how much I enjoyed throwing rocks at Ivy League schools? Well, let's get into like some of these orders and... and you know, because look, if you haven't done it before, folks, it's not like Amazon. You just can't <laughs> yeah. say, "All right, yeah, give me this body, this size." You know, you have to be very specific. Yeah, which I guess their uh, their network of of arts and crafts folks Ooh. were very specific. Yeah, and I mean, speaking of arts and crafts, one of the uh, early findings was at this Katrina's little shop of horrors. Um, she had these uh, skulls. On display. Yes, apparently, apparently, yeah, that was one of the things on the menu. And they were uh, labeled as being, you know, artificial, and whether they were made from, I don't know, whatever, plaster or whatever, but, Ew. oh no, real skulls. Ew. And that's probably the least horrific thing <laughs> that they were doing with this. Well, again, according to the FBI report, this, this weirdo McLean apparently uh, shipped human skin... Uh, to uh, one Joshua Taylor of West Lawn, Pennsylvania. Uh, our man Josh would then tan the skin to create leather. Yeah. yeah. This is, it, it gets no wronger. It, mm. it really does. Yeah. Amongst other things, apparently McLean purchased two dissected faces of uh, course from Cedric did. for the, the bargain basement price of $600. Uh, back in October of 2020. That's one hell of a Mr. Potato Head. Yes. Oh, God. That was even too heinous. For me. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo, sir. Bravo. Uh, so, now, here's. Now, look, I mean, this is an ongoing investigation. Obviously. And, of course, yes, all, yes. all parties are proven or, or <laughs> considered in- innocent, innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, there's the whole new spin on innocence on this yeah. one. Yeah. So, but otherwise, I have to say, damn. And yeah. uh, in, in a world, in a world, in a world, saturated with bizarre, misanthropic, just people like never failing to fail to surprise you. Yeah. Johnny, did I mention that Lodge <laughs> apparently sometimes took these stolen remains to his home in New Hampshire. Oh, uh, so you never bring your work yeah, home with you? Yeah, whereas he and his wife would hang out with them and... Uh, please tell me they dressed him up for a tea party. I, please, please, You please. know, I so don't even want to go there. <laughs> Off with his head. Too late. Yes, and and just just to, to, to add even more detail to the weirdness, uh, apparently Mr. Lodge would allow uh, Miss McLean uh, and Mr. Taylor, the tan skin uh, guy, uh, leather, yeah, uh, to enter the Harvard Medical School morgue to choose which cadavers and which cadaver parts they wish to buy. Because, you know, you should always take a look at the merchandise before you whipped out the uh, <laughs> the old American Express card. I mean, it's a morgue. It's not Ruth Chris. You shouldn't be able to go there and pick out yeah. what meat you want. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> nice marbling there on that thigh. Ugh. Ugh. You know, it should be noted that... Uh, 
you know, back in the mid-19th century, states began passing uh, anatomy acts, I guess you could say, uh, laying out the process for legally buying and selling uh, medical human remains. Mm-hmm. Um, but where the remains come from back then, as is still the situation today, right. has always been, according to es- experts, a, quote, uncomfortable question with murky answers. Well, it's like, you know, you, you don't want to watch people make sausage, so to speak. No. And in this case, you you literally don't want to watch these people make sausage. You don't want to visit the, the, the slaughterhouses in Chicago. You don't want to go there. Right. I mean, talk about a five-second roll. But <laughs> it, it, this is, it's it's... It's so macabre uh, and old-timey. This takes us back to the grave-robbing days of the turn of the century yes. when they needed models for these big universities. Oh, there was yeah. a whole network of both legal and illegal means to obtain these. Yeah. But my thing is, I mean, let's start at square one. It's 2023. Yes. You've still got to take body parts to explore and practice. I mean... Haven't we mapped every aspect of the human body at this point? You know, you'd think. And in all honesty, in researching this, I was tempted to go online and Google, uh, you know, purchasing human remains. I wouldn't remains. do that. I <laughs> did. At the end of the day, I decided, no, no, this is like shit I don't want to know. Yeah, and as, know? as a lot of modern-day uh, murderers and thieves are discovering, uh, your Google search history is, is a hell of a affidavit as you know, to what you've been up to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that guy who carved up his wife on New Year's right? Day, right? yeah, they're they're now yeah, hanging him on his <laughs> Google searches, you know. How long does it take hair to decompose? Right. That kind now, of now, shit. Now, here's another aspect of it. And yeah. yes, this is just one like totally off the rails story yeah. and it just happens to be coming from, you know, one of America's most well-known uh, institutions of higher learning. Yes. But really, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of scandals of all types yep. that are going on at all of these giant schools. Oh, yeah. You know, whether it be, I mean, even, you know, my, my folks in Michigan, they had the tale of, of the, uh, the the trainer or the gymnastics coach, I believe, that was, you know, for decades was molesting the, these yep. gymnasts and whatnot yep. and yep. kept perpetuating itself. Yeah. Not too long ago, you had the old incident with, with Sandusky over at Penn State, mm-hmm. you know, under the auspices of, of Joe Paterno, who, look, he knew what was going on, but the football was more important than what was happening behind the scenes. Yeah, obviously. And the, all of these these little mini cities, almost, if you will, they're going to cover their own ass. Oh, hell yeah. But I would just love to see the spin they've got, how this guy could <laughs> operate with impunity, and, and his higher-ups were just completely oblivious to what was going on. Yeah. And then lastly, what was his name again? Cedric what? Uh, Cedric, what the hell was his name? I had it written down here. Uh, Cedric Lodge. Yeah, because also, turn-of-the-century creepy morgue manager. <laughs> Cedric Lodge is a perfect name for that. Come here, Cedric. I want you to take a look at this. Mr. Lodge. Right? A moment, if you will, <laughs> sir. <laughs> oh, God. So this this thing stinks from start to finish. No Do pun intended. I have it? Yes. But I just... I, I Again, we can't even really get our arms around this. This is one of those stories where it's like... I mean, and we've covered some shit on this podcast oh, yeah. over the last, what, three years? We have indeed. This one, to me, takes the cake. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, watching some of these Harvard officials, which I almost, almost had sympathy for in this situation, scramble to try and come up with statements yes. to make to the press. Um, most of them just defaulted to, I got nothing. 
Right. I got. Because uh, what, 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 what do you say? Uh, what do you say? Yeah, there's nothing in the book that says, you know, chapter three, <laughs> when you're busted or, or when your morgue manager is busted selling body parts out the back door. Right. This is what you tell the press. Or maybe they should get up there like our beloved press secretary, little little Miss Jean. Oh, don't go there now. Come on. We, well, we're just not going to comment on that. <laughs> Why? It's the only thing we want to know, and you're not going to comment on it? Yeah. Well, they could. They could say it's an ongoing investigation, and they're not at liberty to discuss it. But um, what if you're a, a student in, in the medical program yeah. at Harvard, you know, and now you're like, ew. Yeah, yeah seriously. Is... Well, it's like, you know, obviously studying body parts, studying bodies, human cadavers is part of the whole, you know, medical school process. But at any point in time, do you, you know, check yourself with where did these come from? Mm. And where do they go when they're done? You don't. You, you just don't ask those questions, right? Because, in all honesty, you probably don't want to know. And really, I mean, there must be enough like hipster medical students that you know, if they go to a store, they're like, "Hmm, is the chicken free range?" I mean, maybe they should <laughs> ask the, the body parts or the people they're dissecting. And uh, yeah, do we have a, a license for this, or does it have the proper paperwork? Exactly. Do we have some kind of guarantee? Corn-fed corpse, or exactly? Was this, you know, this grass-fed or? <laughs> I'll take the gluten-free yours, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, oh, the big question on everyone's mind by now, once they've stopped throwing up, mm. is, you know, of all the things they could talk about, why this? Well, it is episode 150. It is. And we kind of wanted to hit you with a little little bombast we on, did. on this one. We did. And, um, and this one was served <laughs> up to us. Pardon the pun. Served up to us on a silver platter. Right. And as we'll allude to later on in the episode, there are big changes coming. And this is just a topic that we wanted to hit in our, well, let's say current format. Yeah. This was, this was you couldn't avoid this. Couldn't avoid this. You know, it, it just, <laughs> boom, it was there. It was like, what are we going to talk about this week? And the best part is that it's not done yet. There's going to be more. Oh, I know. We haven't These even are... gone to trial yet. There's no affidavits. There's none of that yet. It's yeah. just going to get... We're, in, we're the, in the indictment stage. Right. This is just... This is scratching the surface. God only knows where yep. this is going to take us. And it hasn't hit CNN, Fox, or MSNBC. It's still a regional story. So when you people are watching it on the big networks, you could thank us for, you know, cluing you in before it hit and went mainstream. Yeah. That's fair. That's Indeed. all we want. A little recognition. Because that's what we do here at Big Boom Radio and at the Riffs and Rants telecast. Yep. And what else do we do? We entertain. Yes. Sometimes in the form of amazing little nuggets of music we call gems. Oh, yes. And I think it's time for the middle gem. I could not agree more, As Johnny. We totally switch gears now. Woohoo. <laughs> and it's yeah. ironic that we went with one of your absolute favorites to start the show. Yeah, great way to, I think, great way to, to, to you know, really, really. Put episode 150, you know. Put our little stamp on it. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So we're going with one of my unabashed favorites for the middle gem. Absolutely. Uh, Mr. David Lee Roth. The one and only. Uh, this is a song off of his third solo album, A Little Late Enough. Uh, and the name of the song, well, we'll let you figure out the whys and where we're going with this after we play it. So for now, the name of the song is Hammerhead Shark. And we'll be back in a few minutes with some more things. And stuff. It was a time of trouble and a time of great kings laying with whores and big ass things. In the world was wicked and their hearts were cold. 
every Saturday night Well, the sheriff found him nearly broken in two Sheriff said to Johnny, well, I think I know who If you have two black knives and skin like bugs You must have rumbled it up with the hammerhead shark Honky Tonk on steroids kind oh, of song. Yeah, and if you, if you have listened to the Riffs and Rants podcast for more than five minutes, you would know that something as special as episode 150 was going to feature some <laughs> David Lee Roth. It was common. And it just worked out. Yeah. And on, on a sad note, you know, this album is what's noted as the the end, if you will, of his really? solo career. Yeah. And he put out a couple more after that. And as a fan, I liked it, but even I noticed it was just getting thinner and thinner and yeah. thinner. There was there was no you didn't know what you were gonna hear in the next song because he was right. just like throwing everything at the wall, <laughs> and look there are some artists that could do that. Diamond Dave's not one of them. Yeah, he's well, a, he huge a showman, but yeah, well he got away with it for a while. Yeah, and I mean he was smart enough to always have a just killer band. Yes, you know, and this was no exception. You know his thing, and not just a killer band, but he always had the best and brightest uh, up and coming guitarist yep. at the time. Yep. And you know his the members of his band would would dip in and out. Um, one of his longtime collaborators, uh, Greg Bissonette, was always there for background vocals and the right. drums. But the other cast of characters, um, 
you know, came and go, but they were always, always very, very talented. Yeah. Um, so when this album came out in 1991, it featured as the lead guitarist uh, a young prodigy, Jason Becker, okay. who very sadly was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease. Oh, no kidding. Before they went to start recording the album. Oh, wow. And he got very sick very quickly. So he was able to finish the album, but was too weak to go out on tour. So they had other guys going and right, doing right. It on a tour. Well, he which... definitely, definitely had chops, man. There's no doubt about that. Oh, yeah. That, like, even man. in that song, that, that whole slide guitar solo, solo is just. Boom, you know. Yep, yep. So tell uh, us about that song, Johnny. Well, some would say that the Hammerhead Shark is nothing more than a euphemism for a penis. Of course, we won't say that. No. No. No, no. (laughs) David Lee Roth? No. Right? No, that would be so out of character. But uh, now, let's just say it's a fun song. And and the reason it jumped in my head is because... Coming at you at a steady three knots with a dorsal fin out of the water is our <laughs> subtopic. Agenda. Agenda. A little indie film that uh, the audience might be familiar with okay. came out uh, 48 years ago, and preparations are already in motion to celebrate its 50th birthday. Okay. This little film, of course, is called Jaws. Wow. Yeah. And as usual, we are ahead of the curve. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I wait for 50. <laughs> we're going to celebrate at 48. Exactly, because they're going to ruin it inside of a month. You're going to be like, oh, yep. more Jaws crap. Yep. And plus, we've already surmised that a mere four years from now is going to be the 50th birthday of Star Wars. Whoa. And we're not even going to try and touch that one. No. So we're going to get our pound of flesh, so to speak. Pull a little uh, Ed, Ed Gardner. Interesting choice of words, <laughs> Johnny. <laughs> and yeah, we're talking about... Jaws. Now, oh yeah, what a beloved what a, American movie. I oh, mean, yeah. memorable, memorable experience. Classic of classics, and in so much as its special place in cinematic history, let's just preface it with this: this invented the summer blockbuster. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. And, and just to, just to take people back, mm-hmm. um, you know, back in what was it, nineteen seventy-five, seventy-six, seventy-five. Four. Seventy. Yeah. Nineteen seventy. Yeah. yeah. Um <laughs> back then it was one movie screen, one building. Yep. You know, they didn't have these multiplexes with like thirty screens and whatnot. You went, you stood in line. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a very, very distinct memory uh of standing in line. I was waiting for the nine o'clock showing because that's the way they used to do it in the old days. They'd do the seven o'clock and the nine o'clock. And we're standing outside in line and you could hear inside the theater the rumbling and right. whatnot. And Maybe 10 minutes before the movie ends, the doors burst open, and this girl comes soaring out in tears. <laughs> and she's like, ah! And it was like, oh, my God, what are we getting into here? Right. You know, I had, I had never experienced anything like that before. You know, I think I was maybe 12 at the time or mm-hmm. something like that. And it was like, wow, this is going to be good. This is definitely yeah. going to be good. And that little space of, like, three or four years between us... You were at least old enough to be aware enough to go see this. Yeah. You know, for me, it was a couple years later. I entered the fray with Star Wars. Okay. But, of course, the first chance I got to see Jaws, yeah. it, it doubly freaked me out. Now, as, as we've documented on this podcast Yes, before, Johnny doesn't like deep water. We know all about you, Chief. You don't go in the water at all, do you? Yes, just like that quote from Jaws. Uh, <laughs> yeah, everybody knows. I don't go in the water. I mean, I do. Yeah. But if I can't see the bottom of it, 
I don't want to go in. Well, that was another of the lasting effects of this film is it made you think twice oh, yeah. that summer about yep. going in the ocean. It really and it was did. so in, in, in the, the consciousness of society in general that even like B-horror movies that had anything to do with the water. I remember one that was about a beach that would swallow people up. Yeah. And they would borrow from the Jaws hysteria with a tagline that said, once you thought it was safe in the water, yeah. you couldn't get there. You yeah. know, that kind of thing. Just when you thought it was safe exactly. to go back. Yeah, exactly. Or let's take a movie, well, Jaws been taken. Uh, how about this one with like little piranhas, you know? <laughs> or that, that abomination with Richard Harris, Orca. Oh, Orca. Yeah. Oh, my I mean, God, yeah. You're never going to catch lightning in a bottle like this ever again. Nope, nope. But for me personally, what kind of made it a little scarier is that growing up on the Jersey Shore, yeah. I grew up in a, let's call it a nautical community. Sure. You know, my, sure. my high school mascot was a mariner. I mean, <laughs> it, it was, you know, boats and fishing and oh, beaches yeah. and all this stuff. Well, they shot the movie in Martha's Vineyard, mm-hmm. which is not, this is not a Southern California beach or, right. or you know, a beach in, in Texas or whatever, the Gulf of Mexico this or whatever. This is the Atlantic where the water is cold and dark. Yes, it That's is. scary. And those of us in the Northeast could fully relate to the surroundings. It was like, mm-hmm. that looks very familiar. Yes. You know, that could have been your beach, yep. you know, or my beach or whatever. So, yeah, there was that connection yeah. going on. So I don't need this working class hero crap. And, yeah, it was disturbing. It mm-hmm. really was. That summer, I very, very, very clearly remember thinking twice, you know, as we were about to head out. Like, hmm. Yep. And as, as you know, there's, uh, we do little witty anecdotes for the songs because... Obviously, we try and uh, include the gems, if you will, in a historical or a critical context. Absolutely. Which is the rule of, of the land. Yep. Message! But in this case, you know, we were saying, wow, we should you know, tell her our stories about when we saw Jaws, or maybe there's some <laughs> interesting you know, tidbits. Yep. And we did find a bunch of interesting tidbits that uh, the common folks maybe do or, or, or don't oh, know. Yeah. Well, that was one of the impressive things, and I think a good indicator of what made Jaws a cultural icon mm. is there's approximately 500,000 websites out yes. there with, you know, little-known facts about Jaws or mm. interesting, you know, insights into Jaws, blah, blah, blah. It's just the trivia is endless in regards to this film. I am actually part of a... Uh, you're going to say, of course you are. <laughs> I'm part of a group on Facebook simply titled uh, Mayor Larry Vaughn's Anchor Jacket. Amity, as you know, means friendship. From Jaws. To of, of, of course you are. Of course you are. Yeah. And we all knew a Larry Vaughn. Yes. You know, that, that, you know, so many of these characters just nail it as far as, like, people yep. you can relate to, mm-hmm. you know, people you grew up around. Every single one of them. And this, in an age, I mean, I really hope to God they never try and remake Jaws. And I don't think they would even oh, bother. Oh, no. Because no. there's been other giant shark movies. And look, with, with CGI where it is today, there's some very stunningly scary shark movies oh, out yeah. there. But you got to say, you know, without Jaws, there would be no oh, yeah. the Meg. Or never mind the Meg 3 or yeah, whatever half, we're up Half to the now. giant, you know, nature's vengeance type movies never would have happened yep. without Jaws. Yep. And, um, you know, my, my question is, and this is what really started us talking about this as a subtopic, you know, what is it that makes this, now we could say it, old movie yeah. so endearing, scary, and relevant to this day? Because if you watch the first Jaws, and then let's say you watch the second Jaws movie, yep. it's not the same. 
No. There's elements of the second one I like, because again, being afraid of water, I'd hate to be adrift on a bunch of pontoons. Oh, yeah. yeah with the shark stalking oh, me. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a funny contrast, because when you go from the first Jaws film, generally regarded as one of the best films of all time, to the fourth Jaws film, generally regarded as one of the worst films worst, of yes. all time. You know, that's the arc, if you yep. will, of the Jaws genre. And it's you because, know? yeah, Spielberg, as a master storyteller, even though this the bulk of the story takes place on the ocean yep. in a boat yep. it's very claustrophobic oh yeah and there's a, there's a it almost it wasn't obviously intentional but there's a hitchcock element to it mm -hmm. because the shark was so malfunctioning over the course of the <laughs> shoot that you know spielberg had no choice but to restrict you know the number of times that you actually see the shark oh, yeah. And it created the suspense element to it. Totally. You know, actually, you know, I can associate it with like the first uh, Friday the 13th film or the first Halloween film. Mm -hmm. Just again, there's this Hitch Hitchcock element of suspense to it. You don't see it, and it just builds and builds the anxiety. And the John Williams score, yes. you know, just completely and totally nails it. Yep. And it just it creates that atmosphere of anxiety. The parallels to, to Moby Dick. Yes. Whether intentional or otherwise. I mean, Quint is Ahab. He's a modern yeah. Ahab. He is obsessed. What are you, some kind of half-ass astronaut? We're getting a shark. Yep, absolutely. And we know that from his uh, you know, monologue that he does about the USS Indianapolis. Indianapolis, yeah. And this was an actual historical fact that at this point was the first time being brought up uh, in a major venue like yeah. this. And he sold it with such authenticity. Oh, totally. Because he's an actor's actor. Yeah. I mean, that's oh, yeah. the other thing. Just the sheer performances of Dreyfus and Shaw Shiner. and Shiner. Yeah. I yeah. mean, nailed it. Yeah. And ironically, you know, and it is typical of the kind of lore that you find surrounding a film like this, Robert Shaw almost didn't do the movie. He almost turned down the part because he didn't like the book. <laughs> you wow. know, you read the book and was like, eh, you know, and I, apparently his wife talked him into it. She uh -huh. was like, yes, you need to do this, you know, and, and as they say, the rest is history. But yeah, the book, if you've read the book, it's, there's parallels, there's mm. similar things. But like a good example in the book, Matt Hooper, the, the Richard Dreyfuss character, has an affair with Ellen Brody and dies. You know, the, right. the famous scene where the, the shark attack, uh, attacks the cage that he's in, in the book... The shark gets through the cage and gets to Hooper and eats it. That's him. all she wrote. Yeah, you mm -hmm. know. So yeah, it, it, again, the kind of law that surrounds a film like this. Well, know, that's an much. interesting tidbit. I, I will throw one at you. <laughs> all right. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't know that probably the most iconic line of the movie. Yes. You're going to need a bigger boat. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Actually, was a running joke throughout the film. Right. Because of the producers that they had, they were notoriously cheap. <laughs> and from day one, before they even started shooting... That's, that's so unheard of with Hollywood right? producers, by the way, yeah. <laughs> before they even get out there, they're like, you're actually going to shoot this on the ocean, in the Atlantic, off the coast. They're like, on a 20-foot boat with the swells and the rising and rocking of them, there's no way you're going to be able to get a, a single shot worth a damn. It's going to be all over the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then they kept saying, you're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah. So it adopted it a life of its own, and anytime anything happened on the set, behind the scenes, catering brought in, the, the, the food was cold. I mean, you name <laughs> it. Somebody catches a cold. It's because, well, you're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah. So when Schneider hits that line, oh, yeah. there's no sense of comedy about it because of the sheer 
physical manifestation of his terror after seeing this thing. Yeah. And we're all there with him. Oh, yeah. Because don't forget, in that moment, he's seen the shark for the first time, as have we. Yep. You're going to need a bigger boat. Yep. And he's, he's chumming. chumming. Right. When he's chumming. And yeah. now the fourth wall is going to get turned off or torn down because he's got to relate to the other two characters, yep. which they see it fairly soon afterwards. But yeah. in that moment, again, Spielberg, man. Yeah. He sucks you into the screen. Now you're part of the movie. Yep. And you don't know what the hell's going to happen. Oh, yeah. And, and credit where credit is due. I'm not sure any other actor, you know, could have nailed the line like Roy Scheider did. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people rightfully focus on the fact that it was Robert Shaw who was the accomplished actor uh, on the in the cast. You know, Richard Dreyfuss was very young and very new. Mm-hmm. Um, Roy Scheider was kind of a stealth talent at that point. You know, he'd done the 7-Ups and he'd done the French Connection. I don't think people quite recognized him at that point in his career as the acting heavyweight that he was. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, who else could have delivered the line like that? Timing, perfect. Right. You know, and just made it legendary. You know, in movie history, in Hollywood history. Yep. You know, I mean, you just, just, you can't pay for that. You can't buy that. You can't see that shit coming. And, you know? and there was, yeah, I mean, there, there was so much that turned and, and pivoted at that moment. Yep. They became the hunted. Yes. Rather than the hunter. And that blink of an eye, wow, whole new movie now. Yep. Now it's not a question of, well, maybe they'll get lucky and they'll kill the shark. And <laughs> they'll be hero. Now it's like, maybe they'll get lucky and they'll survive. Yeah. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So yeah, just yeah, uh, the kind of stuff that you just you got lightning in a bottle and you don't even know it. Mm-hmm. You know? Now, as many people know, the uh, the name affectionately given to this uh, mechanical shark was was Bruce. Bruce, yes. And everyone's like, well, you know, why why Bruce? It's kind of a comical name. Yeah. It was actually the name of Spielberg's lawyer, <laughs> which at this point he was probably in close contact with because. Um, it is. It was a historically just horrendous shoot. Oh yeah, it was originally scheduled for I think it was fifty five days. It went something like one hundred and sixty days. Yeah, that's a career killer. Yeah, right there in Hollywood. And really, I mean, the the fact that they took a, a chance on a heretofore really unknown director. Yep. Yep. With, with any kind of sizable budget, shooting in the water, yeah. that's got to be difficult. Unprecedented. That's why there's some directors, um, the name is, of course, going to escape me now, that they're just known for the water movies. Yep. Um, Vanderhoven. James Cameron is a Yeah, well, James Cameron's example. done well with yeah. it. Um, I think Vanderhoven's another one. Yeah. Um, yeah, because he did Das Boot, I think. Yeah. And, like, the remake of The Poseidon Adventure. But... I mean, that's you introduce that element of chaos into the oh, shoot. Yeah. You're well, asking for problems. Oh, of course. It almost it water almost, world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it almost demands that you have, you know, a guy like Spielberg was back then. He was 26. You know, he had I think one film credit. He had some television credit, mm-hmm. you know, on his resume. But you know, to be that ambitious to go for it. You know, I think a lot of established directors would have been like, no, thank you. You know, I have a career now. I'm not going to risk it for this silly shit. But, you know, you get a young guy like Spielberg who's trying to make a name for himself and he's hungry. Mm -hmm. Maybe he'll go for it. And, And yeah, it was pretty unprecedented. I read on a couple of sites. I don't know if it's true, but I read on a couple couple of sites that that was the first major motion picture, major studio motion picture that was shot on the ocean. You know, only because most established directors, mm-hmm. no way. Right. No right. way. Yeah, Wouldn't even have touched like that. the old uh, movies with the sailing ships and whatnot, they would take those photos at a distance. Yep. But inevitably, it was on, on a tank or in a tank. Yeah. On a studio lot somewhere. Yeah. Which I think yeah, the, uh, the 
one of the most shocking and legendary film uh, scenes, rather, from that film, the Ben Gardner scene where the mm-hmm. head pops up. Wasn't that like shot in somebody's pool or something like it that? It was. It was actually at the uh, the lady who was the editor's house. Ah. Because they weren't going to do it, and then he's like, no, I want to do it. And then they had already wrapped, and everything was taken off all the like corralled up areas of the ocean. Right. So it was Spielberg's idea. He's like, well, can we borrow your pool? And she's like, why? <laughs> And they even did it at night. So they, they brought just a section of the boat, put it in the in-ground pool, yeah. and put in, I believe it was, um, it was flour, flour yeah, yeah, to create yeah. that murky effect. And it worked with like the weird pool lighting that was already there. Yep. Yep. And sure enough, then you got, I mean, like you had said when we were talking behind the scenes, really had nothing to do. I mean, what, why was his head just floating around in the thing? It makes yeah, no sense. But yeah. How, how would that have happened? It was a shocking, you know, he did those little shocking moments. Yeah, you know? but it was a great segue, too, because that was the scene where he had the tooth. Right. And, you know, in his shock at seeing the head, he drops the tooth. And then in a later scene with Larry, the mayor of Shark City... <laughs> He's like, so you don't have the tooth. Yeah, you have the you know, this tooth you're talking about. Can can we see it? And he's like, well, I I dropped it. And uh-huh. Like, oh, okay, you dropped yeah. it, right? And plus, right. you know, it was also an early um, indicator because you know they mentioned Ben Gardner's name a few times, and yep. he's portrayed as you know taking these these hunters from Jersey and and whatnot yep. out to try and kill a shark. So he's like, maybe he's not Quint. But he's a local sailor of some yeah. renown. Yep. So if it took him and his boat out, that should have been the first thing that said to us, yeah, this yeah. isn't going to be these easy Formidable things. enemy. <laughs> yes, right. yes. Because, yeah, his, ca- his character, and, and, you know, being a native of the New England area, the Boston area, you know, reminds me of the typical Gloucesterman. Mm-hmm. You know, the Gloucesterman. You know, the fish of the salty, right. you know, kind of character. You know, mm-hmm. he's going to go out regardless, blah, blah, blah. And, yeah, they totally nailed that characterization in the movie. You know, that, that, that's the epitome of Quint. Yeah. You know, he could totally be a Gloucesterman, you know? Yep. And, uh, and yeah, just, just little things like that that they probably had no idea at the time was going to create the mythos that became mm-hmm. Jaws, you yep. know? The, the setting of the bar, you know, that everyone else would strive for after the fact, yeah. you know? Who knew they had lightning in the bottle at that time? Yeah. You know? So he not only, you know, gave us the first... You know, true summer blockbuster. Yep. But laid out the blueprint that he himself often used after that. Yeah, exactly. And it's 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 Spielberg afraid. doing Spielberg. Exactly. Yeah. It's Spielbergian. If it's not already word, it is now. There you go. Because he 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 earned it, you know. And it's something we we can go on and on and on about. But the, the fact of the matter is, it's a classic. We love it. It's yeah. almost fifty. The making of a legend. And you would only hope that they're going to put it out on the big screen, re-release. Oh, they have to. They They absolutely have to. I mean, change nothing. Leave it the way it is. Yeah. And I'm sorry, Generation Z, you can't experience this at home on your flat screen. you got to go to a movie theater for this one. you got to. And I tell you what, as a a final tidbit, I will say that I saw the Jaws 3 in 3D. Did you really? When it just, the first day maybe it came out. Shucks jumping out of the screen. Yeah. Grabbing you right in your seat in a the theater and yanking you into the no, it was horrible. It, yeah. it was horrible, and it was it was in the middle of that 3D craze yep. of the early '80s. Oh yeah, and just like well, the 3D movies of old, yep. with the exception of Creature of the Black Lagoon. Okay, in my opinion, it's the only 3D movie that ever worked because it was a good horror movie with a new fresh monster that just happened to be in 3D, yep. not the other way around. Yep. So they went through this phase, for those of you that weren't alive yet or forgotten, 
where they were really trying hard to bring back 3D, 3D movies. 3D everything. Yeah. And they would even re-air them on TV. Do you remember that? No. Like really? up in our area, uh, P- P- um, Channel 11 out of New York and Channel okay. uh, WOR out of New York would air these. And you would get the glasses at 7-Eleven, and they tell you when the thing was come out, and you could watch it in I kind unlimited of format. Remember that, yeah. And as a matter of fact, it was the creature from the Black Lagoon that they got, and that was the only one that I ever saw in the movies because I saw a couple of these in the movies. <laughs> so nice. bad, yeah, so bad. All right, one had Darren McGavin as a retired trapeze oh, artist, my goodness. and a commando team trapeze artist. Yeah, and he wow. did that rope lowering thing like Tom Cruise does in Mission Impossible. Right, but he has a heart attack halfway down, so now he's just <laughs> lying like dead over over the treasure in yeah. 3D. Woof, story for another day. That was so no, bad, no doubt. But um, yeah, that whole 3D thing, but. Jaws 3 was so bad, yeah. that couldn't even help it, wow. you know? I now, was that Dennis Quaid was in that yes, one? Yes, it was Lou a young Gossett, Dennis Quaid. I think. Yep, Lou Gossett playing nice. the snakey theme park owner, even though right. we all knew it was SeaWorld, you know? <laughs> but uh, probably the highlight was, um, oh, what is his name? He played Manimal on TV. Oh, my goodness. Simon McCorkendale. Okay. Played like this big game hunter. And his idea was to try and bring in the shark alive. Ooh, Shades well, of Jurassic Park. Yeah, he got eaten. Yes, and very much like Muldoon <laughs> in Jurassic Park. He got Clever eaten. Clever girl. There we go. <laughs> he done got eaten up. Yeah, that that like became a metaphor. I think you know, if you're in the Jaws film and you got eaten, you were like a metaphor for something. And you know what? I see. I just when you think we're done, there's another thing. The uh, one of the taboos that Jaws also broke yeah. was you knew all those things. But still, my boy is dead now. The little Kittner boy getting eaten. Oh yes, because up to oh, that point, goodness, yes, kids I always got a pass yep. in the horror movies yep. and shit. You don't, you don't kill and, the kid. And not just eaten, but graphically with the yes. blood and the raft. And the little and, raft oh, that just floats yeah. up. Sure. Now my question is, why was his mother like eighty years old? Yeah, that you was ever a little notice weird. It's his little, yeah, and, was, and the father comes on. up, and he's and like, you know, Methuselah. And, yeah. Weird. And not only that, you <laughs> want to talk about, like, breaking taboos, the dog. Yes. The dog Pip it. Pip it. And I think, if I remember correctly, there was actually a scene, you know, beyond what we saw in the final, oh, final really? cut, uh, that more elaborated on the dog getting eaten. They were just like, no, we're not going there. Yeah, just that would have been too Enough much. to just make the dog, like, Eat the not, kid. not yeah, come not the home. Dog. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> It's okay to chomp the kid. Can't show him chomping the dog. That would be bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Relived all that summertime stuff in one segment. Wow. I would say that's earned us a third gem. I'm thinking so. And I do believe you have a heavyweight for the third gem. You know, it is episode 150 after all. It is. We got to bust it out. You know, we got to break it out. And, you know, if you're talking heavyweights, there's no bigger heavyweight than Led Zeppelin. This is true. And so we're going to go most appropriately on this one from from their just wonderful, epic, legendary Houses of the Holy album. Of course, I'm talking about the ocean. Indeed. Not more to say. Let's just enjoy it. We'll be back in a couple minutes with some more things and stuff and a wrap-up.
Ready and now we're steady. <laughs> but of course, folks, that was the ocean from Led Zeppelin's 1973 album Houses of the Holy. Well, I didn't think it was from Pirates of Penzance. I was going to say, <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. That was uh, that was Led Zeppelin's fifth album, and that was the picture of a band at its peak. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd done the first four Zeppelin albums. They had just rewritten rock. You know, as as it was known back then, mm-hmm. that was just them having fun. Yeah, you know, they were having a grand it old. Took time. a moment to plateau. Yeah, and of course, the the whole concept of the song was a metaphor for the audience that Robert Plant would see. You know, from the stage, it mm-hmm. was like a big undulating ocean to him, and uh, and yeah, that song just nailed that aspect of the Led Zeppelin experience. Right, and uh, I don't know if there's any other band before or since that. Achieved a peak like that. I mean, this was after Led Zeppelin Four, right? You know, this was after Stairway to Heaven. And, and just being uh, able to, you know, explain themselves and portray themselves the way they did, yeah, time after time after time, to be that erudite and 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 in your lyrics, draw from common life experiences that everybody can relate to. Yep. Tie in, uh, you know, symbolism from the Tolkien novels, yes, <laughs> as yes. well as classic literature and, and art. It's just like. Wow, these guys just—they're firing oh, on yeah. all it cylinders. Was, yes, it was just a stew, if you will, mm-hmm. of all of these things. And again, I don't think there was any kind of a peak like the peak that Led Zeppelin experienced. Right. I mean, you just in this day and age, I don't think there's a band that you could possibly compare to them 
And uh, and I think most appropriate for our 150th episode. I must exactly. say. I must say. Yep. And uh, and yeah, that was a lot of fun. So, uh, as usual, at this point in <laughs> time in the show, what's going on in Big Boom Radio this week, Johnny? Well, my my easy answer is probably more than ever before. All right, because <laughs> I don't need to sleep ever. <laughs> so let's break well, it that's down. Why, that's why we've got five hour energy. And yes. By the way, we need an endorsement. We really do. Thing a contract or in lieu of money, just a free case or two. Yes, which will last us about. A day. Yeah, if that. Yeah. <laughs> Intravenous would be nice. So, uh, well, coming up, we got the uh, very special July 4th show. Yes. Uh, spending July 4th with the Queen, as we're calling it, <laughs> where it's going to be a nonstop marathon from dawn to dusk of nothing but Queen. Oh, and the Johnny Teflon Queen archives is daunting. It is rich, to say my the friend. Leaf. It yes. is rich. Yes. And delightful. And it is certainly ready to be your soundtrack uh, actually on. I guess it's Monday, July 4th or July uh, Tuesday, Tuesday, actually, I believe. You know what? It's going to be a four-day weekend. Yeah, it's going to have to be on righteous. Tuesday then. Yep, because yes. I kept it on the correct day. Good fun. Yeah, so yeah, nothing but fun there. Uh, let's see, point of note. Uh, let's check the parking lot. All right. Um, we have informed the good folks at Spotify. Trash. That uh, their services are no longer required for yes. this podcast. Yes, And rather than getting too far into it, because we've discussed it before. Let's blow that bridge up, shall we? Yeah, let's just blow it up. And uh, they seem to uh, keep entertaining the thought that we are illegally using copyrighted material. Yeah. But in this format, we endeavor to always present said gems. Of course we do. In a historical and or critical format, mm -hmm. which if you read anywhere in the world is perfectly okay and not an act of copyright infringement. Damn! Yeah, as a former member of the BMI Songwriters Union, mm -hmm. former musician, professional musician in L.A., uh, Spotify, kiss my ass, yeah. all right? They're the lapdog of the Universal Music Group. Yeah. And the rest will save for another day. So Indeed. you can probably still listen to us on there, but just be it known, we're trying to get out. Yes, we are. <laughs> and we're still available. Well, gee whiz, everywhere, everywhere else. else. <laughs> <laughs> just Google Riffs and Rants and you'll see a plethora. you about a dozen different <laughs> options. Yeah. So. Wherever your quality podcasts are sold. And there we go. They're not even sold. Download it because we ain't charging it. This is true. So we got that. And then, of course, the giant pimply-faced ogre in the corner of the room. <laughs> Is the fact that we're making the switch. Oh. And we're tearing down the fourth wall and we're going visual. Oh, my goodness. Like many podcasts before us. Yes, we're not exactly selling out. We're just upgrading. Yes. And we're going to be shifting over to the YouTube. Oh. So you can see what these two mugs look like. Talk it's about two trolls under a bridge. I was going to say, faces <laughs> made for radio. <laughs> and we will have much, much more to follow on that. But yes. the, uh, the target the right now is episode 150. Yep. Going visual. It's it's the natural progression of things. It is. That's the best way to yes. put it. Isn't this episode 150? Is this is 150. It so is? 151 okay, good, good, good. Yes, yes. And of course, you know, all the other episodes will still be available in a strict audio format, as will the new ones. Yes. You'll, you'll have your choice, your druthers, if Cho you will. Choice is a good thing. Very good thing. <laughs> too much, too little of it these days. Indeed. Then again, with the whole binary thing, maybe you shouldn't have a choice. Oh my goodness. Woo! Story oh, for another day. Oh. And uh, that's about, well, that's about it. That's enough, because ah, there's a lot to it. More than enough. I mean, speaking of Spielberg, it's going to take a lot to make <laughs> these two run-down bar flies uh, look good. Uh, but we're, we're bringing in the right people. We're hiring. We are. We're, <laughs> we're, we're polishing. 
Oh, God. And then we've got certain camera-shy individuals like Professor Snoof. And, yes. Uh, and, and, and Sir Nigel Pennyworth. Very camera-shy. Yep. So I'm not sure how we're going to get them portrayed, but we'll, we'll, it, we'll it, work it out. It will be chaos in a bottle. <laughs> it will be. <laughs> but it'll be good fun, as always. As always, because that's what we're about. And with that, again, because uh, we haven't said it in a while, a giant thank you to everybody that has you know, kept... Downloading the show and it's yep. kept us doing it. Yep. 150 episodes. We know who you are and we appreciate you. Totally. All over the world. Totally, totally, totally appreciate you. And yep. on that note, as always, I am Johnny Teflon. And I am Michael Sean Lee. And we'll see you all on the flip side. Farewell and adieu to you, fair Spanish ladies. Farewell and adieu to you, ladies of Spain. For we've received orders for to sail back to Boston. And so never more shall we see you again. <laughs> <laughs>